You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Naked as we came, we will be talking about Our Endless Numbered Days, the second full-length album from Iron and Wine. Produced by Brian Deck, the album was released on March 23, 2004 for Sub Pop Records. The album marked a change in Iron and Wine's sound as it was his first produced in a professional studio and with a backing band. On the other mic today is a hangman that wants to come round and he's all shaved and crazy. Welcome back to the show, band director Sean Murray. Hey, How you doing, my happening? friend? I'm good. I'm always good. Glad to be here again. Yeah, I have this in uh, you being all shaved and crazy, and you have like this gigantic beard. You screwed me, Sean. Let me, me tell Sean. you right now, man. It's, <laughs> man. it's my apocalypse beard, man. It started like the day I came home from work, and we're just letting it, you know, flow crazy. It's been it's been nuts. So we'll see how it all turns out. I'm getting a little tired of it. For the first time ever, grown a beard for longer than a month. I've done the no shave November, and then this is the right. first time I've let it carry on. And I haven't mm-hmm. had a, I've had one haircut this year. I'm about six weeks away from a full Kenny Rogers. Right, that's, I where, gotcha. that's where I am right now. I like it. So, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh, Iron and Wine, and you know we hinted at this a little bit earlier. But how did this album enter your life? Well, I know, you know, I did, I came to this album was the first one of his that I heard, and I didn't hear the kind of the the Cradle album beforehand. But I think now that I, I'm like thinking about it more, is I caught him on the Garden State soundtrack, and he had done the cover of Such Great Heights. By the postal service and i remember hearing that song in the movie that's kind of a great compilation soundtrack you know regardless of what you think of the movie it's such a well curated soundtrack you know colin hayes on that there's so many great artists one i was like oh man i don't and i don't even know that i knew the postal service version at that time i just heard that and i thought man this is a great song listen to the soundtrack a couple times and then that led me to i think naked as we came was next and then you know, thus this whole album. So I think that's really where it started for me in terms of his stuff. And then I've bought, I think, every album he's put out since. I've been trying to think now. I had this before I came to Poland. So this was the last, one of the last albums I bought before moving to Poland. And I would have gotten this one, maybe not when it first came out, but soon afterwards. So maybe um, May or June, I think I picked this one up. I've been trying to think because a lot of the stuff I picked up at this point was either because it got a good review in, let's say, the AV Club or Pitchfork, or if somebody was talking about it at Vinyl Fever. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody like you were recommending stuff. Yeah, so that was like gotcha. the three ways. And I reread the, I think it was the AV Club review for it, and it sounded familiar. But then I also remembered, and I just remembered this today while I was going over the album for like the eighth time, that right before, for maybe like the last year uh, before I left, Vinyl Fever had one of those PlayStations, because you could always listen to you stuff at Vinyl Fever. You know, they had the the mm-hmm. open CD yeah. players that you could, go, sure. you could go listen. But I remembered that they had one of those things set up where there was, I don't know, maybe six on each side where you could hear it was like new stuff. And then you kind of just punched it up and you could listen to it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally forgotten that they had had that. And I think this is one of those albums. It was that kind of the combination of I read a good review and this was one of those CDs that you could because it wasn't in used, but I could listen to it new because it was a part of that. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and I'm almost positive that was what got me to pick this one up. This really brings me back to right as I was getting ready to move to Poland, finishing up at work and moving out of that apartment and going back to Daytona for a couple of weeks before I left. A friend of mine was really into this style of music and he was in a, in a band with his family, played the saxophone. I can't remember if I, because I would normally make an end of the year 
my favorite songs. Sure, do, yeah, thing, absolutely. You know. Do that all the time. I don't know if I did it one for like the halfway point because I was leaving or if I made him a copy of this because we talked about one of the songs. And so one of those songs really always brings me back because of him humming part of it and how much he liked that part of it. And I remember instantly liking it. It was just one of those, this is good stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's the, and that's the beauty of those days where, you know, you had those digital, that ability to do that because in so much the digital age now has allowed us allowed us to browse more than we've ever been able to in terms of like finding an artist that we like based on another artist or something like that and so that idea of just kind of buying something blind and hoping it's good and then you get these listening stations and whatever else and that kind of you know allows you to maybe do a little sampler on some of these groups you're not quite sure of especially when they're new like this yeah and i never heard that first one where it was basically just him in a basement studio the creek drank the cradle something like that yeah i think he did it i think he did it like on a four track recorder it was like it was like um, almost like springs teens nebraska yeah and that he kind of just did it on a four track recorder that he borrowed from a buddy and that was how that first album got produced and then eventually was distributed by sub pop uh, if i remember correctly and then Mm -hmm. he had he had more of a budget and and stuff for this one so uh see i came into this one cold but i'm just warmed up to it immediately so let's go ahead and jump into the old track by track analysis we have side one song one on your wings love and the time that we have a terrific opener i mean it's like this is what I would have heard first, just sort of picking around. And as I have mentioned a bunch of times, I have a, a limited knowledge of actual producing producing of music. So I'm going to say things and hopefully they make some sense. And then you can come with the actual music knowledge and, <laughs> okay. and, and, and sound like somebody knows what they're talking about. But I, I like, because this one opens up with that kind of like a plucked acoustic guitar. Yeah. I mean, that's he, a... okay, good. I'm glad I did that one right. Yeah. So, and he has just, he has really warm vocals. And so just that together, because this would have been at a time where I was listening to a lot of Leonard Cohen. I was listening to a lot of Johnny Cash, that kind of stuff. Also with, you know, some Nick Cave and just the this approach, while a bit more folky than what I would have been listening to, was really in my wheelhouse. And it opens up with that line, you know, God, there is gold in the ground. And he's a, a religious person, or at least he was. I don't know if he still is. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of biblical allusions. And so I always get the sense that I don't always know what he's talking about because I don't know the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. I don't think it's that important because I think you, 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 he does a good job of, there can be two different meanings, if, at least in a lot of what he has. And then I like in that last minute, uh, there's like additional music that comes in, you know, so it, it, it kind of beefs up that sound just for the last minute. It doesn't go crazy. A really warm, welcoming to this album i think you give a pretty good idea of what you're in for from this one what do you think about this one you know i'm with you 100 on that you know like one of the other albums we did for this series was in our nature with jose gonzalez and those two guys share a lot of the same vibe in that it's primarily you know these picking patterns on the guitar 
you know, for most of his albums. Now, there's a completely different feel between those two artists, but particularly on your wings here, you know, it starts in the, and he takes you through the chord changes of the tune as he picks through it on the guitar. And, uh, you know, and then it's very sparse, which is very reminiscent of his original album, you know. So if you came to that album and now you're here and you're getting some of that same stuff, but now it's a full band that's kind of backing him. And even though there's a full group backing him on this album, you still don't get a whole lot of them throughout. You still get pretty sparse instrumentation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they... Everything was, I was hoping to find out a little bit more who played on each individual track. And the only thing I could see was all of the credits for the whole, you know, so there, there is a full band, but not on every track, or at right. least not one that you can really hear. Not a lot of percussion you'll hear, like it's not a lot of drums, let's say. So there's some, yeah. you know, where you can, what's the thing where it's, uh, it sounds like wood being drug across the bumps. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, you know, uh, you can have that like in a lot of like Latin percussion where it's like, you know, like Guero or something where it's like a riveted kind of almost gourd and you're dragging, you know, dragging yeah. it across and, and you get that in a lot of Latin music in this one. And that's one of the things that stood out to me is that it almost sounds like a typewriter, like the way like a typewriter resetting the carriage returns. You get that. Yeah. Yep. And it does sound the way they recorded it, like it could almost be a typewriter plucking at keys on, you know, or something, and then their carriage returns. And I did like that a great deal. Um, you know, there's the steel guitar that kind of is in there as well. Uh, and then, you know, to your part, that last time through, kind of the instrumental section is where you finally hear like a full-on drum set part where it kind of comes in and beefs it up, you know. And yeah. one of the things that's unique, well, that is kind of a common theme throughout this album is good production, is that, you know, in a piece like this or any of his pieces where you've got repeated verse and chorus, they're making an effort to at least change the instrumentation even a little bit the second time you hear the same type of melodic material. So there's something else to listen to, whether it's the string bass comes in or, like you said, limited percussion or, like, you know, his sister obviously, you know, is the sole, like, backing vocals on most of these tracks. And the kind of variation they put in there I thought was pretty great, especially on this opener like this. I think the only other thing that I really like about this uh, piece, well, I mean, there's a lot to like, is that Every time they come back to the chorus, it's the same music, but it's different lyrically. You you know, there's the verse, and then he comes back to the chorus, but it's still not quite the same. He changes the lyrics, even though the you know the melody is you know relatively the same. And so I kind of like that variation of what was going on on the album. Yeah, it's to the point where it almost doesn't feel like a chorus because it is just different enough that it, it takes you that second to catch that that that's what that is. So yeah. All right, and what about the track two, Naked as We Came? She says, wake up, it's no use pretending I'll keep stealing, breathing her Birds are leaving over autumn's ending One of us will die inside these arms Eyes wide open you know, this is the track that a lot of people know off of this album, for sure. I think it's one of the, like so many albums, it's one of the best ones on the album for me. And that usually is reserved for a second or third spot in terms of a track listing. You know, you get the opener out of the way, get people warmed up, and here we are with, you know, Naked As We Came. And uh, just feels like just right at home now that you know what to expect in terms of like, okay, Here's the, the style. It's a gorgeous song. Just absolutely, again, it thrives on that repeated picking pattern throughout. I know for a fact that on this particular album, 
uh, you know, the traditional tuning. He changes the traditional tuning of the guitar. So he takes the E string and he drops it down to a, a, a D, which kind of gives like two, you know, repeating notes. So you get kind of this low D tuning on the, the instrument, which again makes it sound different than if, you know, it was just a, a regular tuned guitar. So that kind of scordatura of like changing the, like the tuning of the guitar is pretty cool. And then, of course, because of that, you get that fantastic bass line that almost sounds like someone else is playing it with them, but ultimately it's not. It's just him in the picking pattern that produces what sounds like this fantastic bass line, which I think is very memorable in the in the particular tune itself. I was going to say, because this is one, I think this is the song, I, I sometimes I'll start to write notes about music and then they just sound so stupid that I stop. Because <laughs> I think this is the one, because there's also some banjo on this album, mm-hmm. and but he doesn't play it like you expect a banjo to be played. It doesn't right. have that frantic picking. So it's like he plays a banjo like a guitar. And mm-hmm. so I can't tell if it's a banjo or if it's a steel guitar or if it's like a, 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 a traditional guitar that's just been capered or, you know, there's all, you know, capo, yeah. I should say. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So th- there, and so it's really hard to tell. And there's this one where they have like you said the the picking pattern and then it almost sounds like he's playing the low strings like a bass and then there's a little bit of a lead which sounds like it could be an electric guitar without any distortion on it but it also sounds like it could be all three noises could be coming from the same instrument and i'm not 100 percent sure (laughs) so so glad that you said that that it is three because the way they have it come together it's like you know the dude would need to have about 37 fingers to make it work but just the way it's put together it sounds like this is all coming from the same instrument almost and it's really it's hypnotic this has a very hypnotic rhythm and it's a very sweet song and it's it's pretty morbid there's a lot of death and dying on this record yeah and this is a husband and wife talking they can't sleep and they're saying i don't i want to be cremated essentially and i want you to scatter my ashes in the in the yard yeah and also with that you can tell they're still very much in love because they die, you know he's saying one of us will die inside these arms right so there's right. no you know there's no chance that this is a, a marriage that's not going to work out as far as they're concerned somebody's right, yeah. going to be somebody's going to be dying hopefully of old age and the other person is now responsible to make sure that their ashes are spread throughout the yard. You know, not to go someplace with them that they, you know, but to keep them at home. And I think there's something very, it's morbid, but it's very, very sweet yeah. uh, in its own way. And just on top with the music. And yeah, this is a, this is a good one. This is a delicate one. And I'll tell you, one of the common themes that we'll see in this album, I always feel, and with this stuff in general, but this album particularly, is that he writes from like a third person perspective. There's not a lot of stuff, because it's he writes in a very poetic manner. Like his stuff, you know, could easily be poetry in the way it's like presented minus the music. But in the end, most of the time he's talking as a third person observer. It's not things that happen to him necessarily. It's storytelling or it's some sort of like poetic narrative of, you know, something that has gone on. And so that kind of gives a unique perspective as well. But I'm with you. Like I said, it's a, it's kind of a morbid tune, but at the same time, it's so delicate. The vocals are and the harmonies are so great in the chorus. And like I said, the way he picks that out. And I've, I even went so far as is like, you know, trying to find a live one of him playing that. I think he did it for one of NPR's like tiny desk concerts. They had him in. He's been on there a couple times, but he does this tune, I think, at the end of the set. And he tunes it down and he capos like on the second fret. And then most of it's just him. Like, you know, I think they might have added some production, like you said, steel guitar or some banjo and stuff like that. But that bass line is all him primarily on that guitar. 
I wondered that because it sounds that way. I can't imagine how he would play that, but that's how it sounded to me. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, he's getting the, the things up here and then going real down, you know, just like fast, I'm assuming, or, you know, like have the, the, the quick change while not playing quickly, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, okay. That's, that's interesting to know. I, I didn't even think yeah. to, to try to <laughs> track down live. Like I said, I do that sometimes. Like, you know, if you're a guitarist you and you're trying to like learn a song or something, sometimes nothing's better than like finding a live recording to see how someone's like voicing a chord or how someone's treating it, you know, in terms of their picking pattern or something like that. And you can learn a lot just by watching, you know, even five seconds of like the finger work on, on a guitarist who's playing acoustically like that. That's cool. So let's move on to track three, Cinder and Smoke. The snake in the basement found the juniper shade. Man, do I love this song. I love this song so much. When I was talking before about my friend responding to one of these songs, and Jaffe, if you're listening, this is you I'm talking about. This was the one that my friend really came back to. And I can't, again, remember if I had just made a copy of this record form or if I'd made a playlist uh, or, you know, a mixed disc. But he just came back the next day and he kept doing like the end part where he has the uh, wordless you know, harmonizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just, so my friend just kept doing that all day and not in an annoying way, but just it was clearly stuck in his head. And I was yeah. really fresh to this album. And this is one of those songs that I like to think of as a secret single. You're a guy who makes you know, playlists and you make discs and stuff for other sure. people. Yeah. You know, when you do your end of the year or when you make something, you end up listening to that one song a lot more just uh-huh. because of, because of the, the process of putting it together and then making sure that the flow is where you want it to be. And then obviously you made this thing, so you're going to listen to it a few times, even if you're giving them a, a bunch of them away. Right. A lot of times those songs end up having that same resonance for me as what would have been a single because you heard that on the radio or because you saw the video or whatever yeah. a bunch of times. And so when you go back and you listen to something old, even if you listen to the whole album a lot, sometimes those singles just ring a little bit louder. And mm-hmm. that's how it is for me with sometimes with songs that I put onto a mixed disc because I've listened to them more and it has that. And so this is that song for me that this one, I don't remember ever hearing Naked as we came because I had moved to Poland almost immediately after getting this record. Yeah, okay. But Cinder and Smoke is one that I included elsewhere. And so that's just the one that when I hear it, it rings a little, little bit louder. I'm with you 100% only because like sometimes when you extract a song from a like an album from an artist that, you know, that's the vibe of the album. And so you get like, like everything sounds very in the same vein when you're listening to the whole album. But as soon as you extract it and put on a disc with multiple musical styles, sometimes it just shines even brighter because you go, man, it's just such a unique vibe from that tune and the way it's sung and the way it's written. And I, I could absolutely see what you mean by this, you know, the idea of secret singles with, with a tune like this, for sure. The music on this one is really good. And this is the first time I remember really hearing drums, uh, even though, you know, they're a little bit on that second, like the very end of On Your Wings. But this is the first time where it feels like real percussion. And it's, it's a little bit dark. And as far as I can tell, the story seems to be about, you know, somebody's burned down what the shed or the house or the barn or something, you know, there's something that's on fire. Somebody's kind of drunk. There's people there trying to save things, get things. And he's got that line that I love because this is one that it's like you're praying for rain with ash in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And that could, that is obviously could be just meant straightforward. 
right? Yeah. So things are burning. You're hoping anything's going to help you and you have ashes in your mouth. But because this guy comes from this kind of religious background, I was wondering, does this mean something more? Is there something deeper to this? I mean, there could be, I don't know. I don't need to know, but right. that's one of the things that's always brought me back to that line because mm-hmm. on its own, it's a, it's a very stark and beautiful and meaningful line. And the fact that there could be this other meaning I don't get is intriguing, even though I don't necessarily need to know what it is. What do you think about this? Well, and I think too, you're right. You know, the, his lyric style is very unique in that there's not a whole lot that's straightforward. You know what I mean? And again, that's why it has that poetic nature. Um, the thing I do kind of like about this song that I, you know, notice and just like kind of when I listen to it is that he always, it's really a, a three verses. It's three verses in a row, but each verse has like an A and a B part. And the A part always starts off with the line, give me your hand. And the B part always starts with cinder and smoke. And then everything below that's different. So you could say, well, it's a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, the whole way down. But everything is different. There's nothing that gets repeated except for those two lines. And then it happens every single time. Give me your hand, lyric, 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 cinder and smoke, lyric, lyric, lyric. And then, you know, an instrumental interlude. And then we're back to, which I think also gives some cool symmetry to it. And that you're kind of, you hear it and you think you're going to hear the same thing again. And then he's varying the lyrics as it kind of, you know, moves throughout. Um, Like I said, additional instrumentation. Every time like a new verse comes in, they drop in a new instrument. So there's something new to listen to. It's the longest track on the album because he he goes through probably three minutes before he ever gets to that first you know verse and then to your point and to your you're talking about your friend's love of this song there is a lyricless chorus which you don't see a lot and it's uh, it's a vocal but it, it doesn't have any specific lyrics and and then it kind of again ties the whole piece together more uniquely than a lot of music that you know even that's even on this album itself so i really like this and i had a discussion was it i think when i was talking about madman across the water and there was something like just every once in a while it, it always feels like they just decided not to write lyrics or got lazy you know and there's just too much like the you know i don't need to hear three minutes of na 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 or right, you know right, I, you know yeah. i don't need to hear the last 10 minutes or whatever that journey song is you know they have like you know yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and and usually it annoys me more than anything in, in, in longer doses, like in short doses, it's great, you know, but and the fact that this is such a hook, I think uh, at a lot of other times would I would not like, but I love this. Mm-hmm. And just the, that that kind of yeah, yeah, yahing that he's doing the way he draws it out and it just that worms its way into my brain it's just it's been there cuz i've been i've been listening to this a ton preparing for this and just this one's gotten a lot of extra play so right yeah it's a great one all right well, what about uh, track 4 sunset soon forgotten this is kind of nice because it's got, you know, it's kind of got this secondary guitar part um, that's kind of scooped on top of the picked pattern. So you get that. Here's the thing. When you start to play like pick guitar like this, there's only so many patterns you can get out of any given chord. You know, if you're if you're you got six strings and your your voice in a chord, however, there's only so many patterns you can get out depending on how long you intend it to be. But in a traditional pop song like that, so you know some of that stuff is about laying down the the vibe. And then on this one though, you get this cool like second guitar part, which I couldn't tell like you know again because there's not specific like instrumentation per track. Whether it was like a mandolin, or if it's a, or if it's just another guitar, there kind of with the scoop pattern going on. But I really like this album. I mean, this particular track. Um, there's an addition of some steel guitar um, after the refrain, and uh, that happens. And again, I just like the contrast between 
the music in the refrain as it kind of varies between the verse and the refrain. So like it again, it's kind of got a repetitive nature to it, but it's it, it varies musically between the verse and refrain, which I think makes it an interesting song on this album. Yeah, and the guitars really sweeten up from the previous one. So Cinder and Smoke has that kind of brooding quality to yeah. it. Uh, and this one brightens right back up. And this is another one where I couldn't tell if it was a bass being played or if it was the the low strings on the guitar being played. So this is one that I, I wasn't 100% sure. And, and I think this is when I realized that there was actually banjo on this record and it made me wonder <laughs> how because that's when i went looking to see if because i yeah. wasn't sure if maybe it was a stand-up bass my guess is, is they did not use electric bass on this i mean it, it just doesn't hold with the i mean everything is is done and i wouldn't doubt even in this recording i don't know how it was recorded or everything but they may have also done really light miking of the drums meaning that instead of you know miking up each individual drum on a, a set you know where you got a mic on the bass and one on the snare and on the cymbals and stuff it's such a sparse set anyways i wouldn't be surprised if they did a very you know light miking of maybe the bass and the rest of the set because it's not real heavy in the mix you know of the a particular track but yeah, I mean, there's. A, I definitely assume that it's an upright fretless bass, you know, in a traditional classic style that was used on this album. Because it definitely doesn't sound like, even if it's not an upright bass, I don't feel like it's an electric bass. So it could be one no. of those like acoustic kite type basses where you play with like a, a, a normal bass, let's say, as opposed to an yeah. upright. Not really sure, but because this is another one that I'm like, all right, I don't know if all of these sounds are coming from the same instrument. It's the way it's layered. It feels like it could be, but not, not 100% sure. Yeah. And sometimes too, you know, when they you get a production value like this and you start even if it's taken just from the acoustic guitar depending on how you do like you know eq it you can you know roll off the you know the bass so it sounds a little like boomier coming off the bottom end of the guitar which then can sometimes you know play with your mind about like what actually is playing those particular parts uh, so it all depends how it was mixed or, you know, kind of uh, mastered, so to speak. So Yeah, and not something I had really noticed too strongly before when instead of just looking at it kind of closely for this. And, and so that's been interesting. And that's, you know, going back, there's a few times where it's clearly a banjo being played, but a lot of times I can't tell if it could, it, it could be, and he's just playing it in a non-traditional way. And this is another one I really noticed with the uh, the harmonies with his sister. Yeah. And just how well their voices blend and, and how sparingly they use her. So it's it's all over this album, but like in just like a word here or, or a, a verse there, something. It's just oh man, it's so good. And to the point where I just I at one point thought maybe it was his wife, you know, the same last name. And so then reading, you know, it was his sister, and yeah. and that just that that those family harmonies and just and just how well it works and how sweet that is on this particular. Yeah, she song. is so delicate on every track on here, and you sometimes aren't can't even hear her initially. In addition, you know, when she joins him on the chorus or even in a verse, and it's, you just go, my God, it just, you know, it's a really just a beautiful, delicate, like, harmony that's going on in most cases. Or she's singing in an octave above him or something like that just to, you know, give kind of more depth to the whole, you know, sound in general. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. On to track five, Teeth in the Grass. Such a 
odd way to put that. So uh, it took me a while to, to figure out that that was tombstones <laughs> and not just some, you know, very strange farming style. Yeah, I got uh, And this is one where I think this is one of the ones where it really feels like the, like the banjo. Uh, you can tell mm-hmm. it's a banjo in this song. And that's more of the, the lead instrument. And this has got a real shuffle to it. And yeah. this is w- one of two songs that really remind me of later era Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one's even a little bit stronger a little bit later on but this is one that it just it has that just the the bass that, that you know kind of makes you want to do that back and forth kind of bob to it and it's not too strong and it's just got that really it kind of it, it almost doesn't feel like it finishes before it goes on to the next thing so it gets almost like a bob to it man i just i love this song this is such a great one as sweet and as pretty as this album is i tend to like the ones that are just a little bit more brooding yeah and i feel like that this is uh this is one of them what do you think about this one I, again i'm with you 100 percent on that this one's got that shuffle feel which breaks up kind of what's happened in the previous tracks it's definitely a different vibe than what's come before it you know he's got these short inter- instrumental solos after the second time through the chorus which are just great i'll tell you in, in a way that only you can talk about this now and it's kind of revisiting this album is i think in some ways this song is like a precursor to a lot of the stuff that comes on the albums after um, where he had a more beefier group and played up a little bit more you find this is very reminiscent of some of the other albums i love by iron and wine and and when he's got a more thick instrumentation and he's going after a different type of music style like i said this is more of a shuffle this felt like a lot of the stuff that comes later in his discography than the stuff that he had done on a previous album or even this album in general which makes it again a standout Um, but i like it because it does sound like kind of the direction he's headed in future albums yeah, you can see that because he's he's moving away from that just, you know, one guy in a basement, even though he has this full band, it's not being utilized on every track. And you can see that, you know, you can see that transmit. And this is really a transition record from where he was into where he would end up going. Mm-hmm. And you do see a lot of the, the things happening here in the future when I think when he really knows how to utilize that band. And I don't know if he has a set band I, because I listen to everything that uh, he puts out as it comes out. I don't, it doesn't always stick with me. There's a few things where I'm like, yeah, that's great. And others where it just sort of kind of floats by, but I don't know if he has a, a set band or if he's working with different players, every album or I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that to a certain extent, there's probably some different, you know, players. Anytime they, I think they depends whether the producer stays the same, because sometimes when you're with a different producer, they'll bring in their own guys sometimes, you know, who are fantastic musicians or, you know, in a way to beef up, you know, if they have a different vision for the album or something like that. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know enough about the, the albums that come after this to know how much carryover there was between that. But again, it's a, it's a great, feel to this song and it's at a good place on the album simply because it's different than what's come before sure yeah. uh, what about track six love and some verses love is a dress that you You know, we loving some verses, it doesn't seem fully formed to me. It's a song that I could take it or leave it in terms of the general, you know, if you're going to write out like songs on an album, it's not that I dislike it or it's not that I, you know, 
I don't like it. It just it doesn't seem like it found its way. There's like some good ideas that are there, but it doesn't hold on to a lot musically. You know, it's it doesn't seem like it's fully fleshed out into like a true folk or folk-based song. I listen to it, I enjoy it, but it's it's definitely not one of my more favorites on the album in terms of that. Yeah, really my only note is that this one starts off with a folky feel and then for the choruses or what it, it gets almost countryish. Hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just it, it it seems to change tone a little bit. And I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. This is one where I was, you know, because I listened to it a bunch of times before I'll, I'll take notes. Yeah. And so then I started and I had all the songs before it. And this one, I just didn't have any notes at all and then kept mm-hmm. going. And I had very came back to notes as well. Yeah. Let's go ahead and we'll finish that there. That brings us to the end of side one of our Endless Number Days by Iron and Wine on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Sean Murray. Now, Sean, uh, as you said at the beginning, you are the uh, the band director. Yeah, that's, when, that's my gig. I work, you know, most of the time as a director of bands at a university here in the states and it uh, keeps me pretty busy and of course you know we're recording this at a time where you know the world's gone mad a little bit we're finding our way through some things and uh, i'll tell you uh, more than anything though it's just that it's caused me to uh, really kind of take a deeper dive into uh, music and some art stuff and find different ways to kind of make that happen as we social distance and all that other stuff but it's been an interesting time i found a lot of little projects that i've worked on i'm practicing every day which i don't always get a chance to do so up in my musician skills a little bit which i love it's a nice distraction to just be able to sit down and and concentrate on you know getting better on an instrument so i've been enjoying that and uh yeah it's been fantastic which instrument have you been working the most i have on? been i have been a long time owner and a very poor player of the electric bass i had played you know guitar i'd taken in like college it's like folk guitar so i know some chords and i'm mildly dangerous but nothing you know ridiculous but i'm a bass player by trade i'm a tuba player so I, you know my first instrument so it's kind of a natural transition to be able to learn bass. When you're learning a new instrument, after you've learned an instrument, anyone who's ever done that before knows that at some point or another, you got the music reading skills out of the way, hopefully. So you're not having to battle with like how to like read music. Now mm-hmm. you're just learning a skill set. But being a wind player, that string side of it is completely different for me. You know, it's a different skill set of of left hand right hand and proper tone production and so yeah just working through it and just getting better every day and uh like i have no plan for any gigs i'm sure i won't be playing any type of band any soon but it's brought me a great deal of joy kind of here in my isolation so to speak so well that's nice nice to have uh our our electronic friends helping us out (laughs) i'm telling you man absolutely so we're gonna go ahead and flip this bad boy over side two track seven radio war and i This is an odd way, if you're thinking about this in terms of vinyl, to start. This sounds like the end of side one. And I just split this in half because I don't know if this initially had a, a vinyl release. I know there was one, I think, a few years later. And I know there was a, another thing just last year with um, an extended version and whatnot. And I don't know if that also had a vinyl release or not. So I didn't look. I just went ahead and split this one in half because this does not sound like how you would want to start a side two. Now, right. I had this on CD uh, and I've been listening to it via streaming. So I hadn't really thought too much about it that way. But 
when this one comes on, this is the the shortest song by far. It's less than two minutes. Uh, and it just has that, you know, this could have been the last song on the side or even the last song on the record because it just has that very sparse, like strumming, just kind of taking you out. And it's, it's really short. It's pretty, but it's slight. It doesn't do much to help us get past that, you know, loving some verses. Didn't really seem fully formed. And this works if you're if you're thinking about this as an ending, but as just a you know song one side two, that's a little bit weird or or what have you. So hopefully this actually because it is shorter does finish up side one, and I just don't know it. <laughs> what do you think about it? Yeah, this is like a true folk song, like the way this comes to you. And I, and again, I can't remember. I've seen that the vinyl version, and I even in the deluxe edition that they released last year through Sub Pop, which had the demos of it. Um, I don't recall, you know, what I know was two LPs, but I don't know how it was split between the first LP versus sides. But, you know, again, coming to this shortest track, like you said, but I felt like it was a true folk song. It's sparse instrumentation. It's three verses with no refrain or chorus. And it, it's, I think it's a delightful song. Like I said, it's a weird thing. If it is the, the, the flip side of, you know, the A, if it's the B side, it's a weird way to start it. But boy, I'll tell you, it just kind of, it's a simplistic, he's not picking through it. He just is in a strumming pattern, which is one of the few tunes on this album that's done in a strumming pattern like that. Like I said, I think it's a, a very uh, beautiful song. It just doesn't have a lot to it. It's, I mean, it's done in a traditional sense, the way, the way you might think of like um, some early gospel music, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, the Carter family or something like that from that era. That's more of what this song feels like. Really that strumming pattern that sets it apart because he's, he's almost always picking or, or other things are going on and, and just like that's it like I don't know how to play the guitar and I feel like in an afternoon I could learn how to play this song you know it's just it probably not but I mean it just feels that simple that it's just yeah he's, I think he's I think he's only got like you know maybe two chords the whole two or three chords the whole thing and he does it doesn't vary a lot he's not doing a lot of inflection or not you know noodling around on it it's you know simply just comes off as just a, a very easy song no chorus at all just very Verse, 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 all the way down. More yeah. like a poem that he just sent to set to some chords. Sure. On to track eight, Each Coming Night. Will you say when I'm gone away, my lover came to me and we lay in rooms unfamiliar, but until What do you think here? It's a little bit repetitive. Each coming night is uh, for me, like I said, as I kind of you know approach the song, um, it's it kind of stays the same throughout. There's a lot of you know like vocalization, you know, on the, it's a lot of oh 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 all the way through. Very little in terms of actual lyrics in this, in the verses at all. You know, like I said, the the, the cool part about this tune that I like is at the end he kind of slows down prior to the final verse. He like. Things come down, the dynamics come down, it gets softer, and then he kind of builds back towards the end. So you're going along, you're going along, there's kind of an instrumental break, and then before that fourth verse, he slows everything down, retardandos, boom, and then he slowly kind of builds up not only the intensity of the tempo, but the dynamics come back and it finishes pretty strong. So I thought that was kind of a nice variation and piece that 
doesn't necessarily have a lot of variation in it throughout the rest of the song. And my favorite part is that last part when the the guitar, let's say the riff changes. Yeah. And it reminds me a lot of Crooked Fingers. The first cuz I it was like this sounds vaguely like something and I couldn't place it and the first thing that came to my mind was Bruce Springsteen. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, can I'm hear go, that. I go I don't know if that's right. I think what it sounds like is Crooked Fingers version of the river. Okay. And there's just, you know, and that, and it's yeah. like all came and uh, and I wouldn't. It's not. It's you know, obviously not exactly, but it's just reminiscent enough that I could see where I my my brain made that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think if it would have been at the beginning of the song, I may not have noticed as much. But because it is sort of this surprise after that, because like you said, that first you know two thirds of the song just isn't doing a whole lot. And, and you know, it's nice enough. But then that last part comes in, and I think that guitar part is really interesting, and I think sounds good. Yeah. On to track nine. Free until they cut me down. Can the men take me to the devil tree? I will be free and shining like before. Papa, don't tell me what I should have done. She's the one, she's the one who paid me. This is the second one that really reminds me of Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. And the bass playing on this reminds me specifically of his version of Personal Jesus. You know, nothing else on it, but just that that bass loop on it. It's just it brings me back to that. And yeah. how much would you love to hear Cash lend his baritone to this tune? Yeah. Oh my god, that would have been so fucking good. So this is probably the most lively song. It does have that 50s country feel to it almost. Yeah, it's um, like a blues with, shuffle, almost like a blues shuffle sort of, yeah. And a bit of, uh, you know, and it's about somebody who's going to be hung or hanged, I should say, sorry. The story seems to me, sounds almost like mob justice maybe, that he's being accused, <laughs> he's being accused of rape, but it was her idea. You know, she seduced him yeah. and he's saying to his dad, more or less like, I, I know what's going to happen to me, but she's the one, she's the one who begged me take me home but he doesn't seem you know it's like he i don't let's say he loves this woman or the sex was good enough that he's gonna he's gonna die but it was worth it it has just that murder ballad e um, yeah, mob, mob justice and i mean i just i see cash all over this song and i wouldn't be surprised if there was a johnny cash influence on this guy what do you think about this one uh, i agree with you 100 it's a it's a change of pace on the album for sure and like i said it's kind of that blues basis you get a lot of banjo get some solos and again you know to your point a lot of times the banjo is not played in the traditional sense that you would think about with some bluegrass music or something like that it's more of a timbral thing to get you know where it's played more like a guitar in some senses but it definitely you know lends itself to getting some sort of change so you're not hearing always acoustic guitar you get some steel guitar in some tracks and then here the banjo's featured pretty prominently and then only after the banjo instrumental do you finally get like more drums like a meteor drum part through you know throughout the the tune again it's the biggest amount of storytelling i think from front to back on a song on this album in terms of just like the subject matter and and the lyrics and stuff but uh yeah it's definitely got a, a cool vibe to it and because it's so different musically it's a real standout on the album and that last what minute and a half it's practically a rock song because i mean mm-hmm. it's like that's that's probably the first time like a real full drumming 
Like yeah. we get some drums at the beginning and there was another song that had, but this is the one where it just all comes together and it's like crashes in. And I would have loved to seen this one live that just, I feel like this is one that would have all just come together. And just when it hits that second level in the second half of the song mm-hmm. uh, is, is a lot of fun. Track 10, Fever Dream. I want your flowers like babies Want God's love maybe As sure as tomorrow What do you think about this one? Oh, this is my one. This is my one on this album. Fever Dream is, like, if you're going to nail me down to a song on this album, this is it. And it comes for several different reasons, at least the way I think about it. First of all, it starts with, like, the picking pattern that he's using. It's very different than anything he's done before. And it's difficult. Like, the actual pattern, when you really listen to what he's doing, or even if you've seen him live do it, It's one of those songs where you can't believe someone can concentrate enough to pick it out that way and then simultaneously play, like, sing lyrics over the top of it. You know what I mean? Because you just go, he's working hard, you know, to make this happen. And I I always marvel at that. I mean, you know, left hand, right hand, independence or walking and chewing gum at the same time. But when you're having to do something, even if it, though it's a repeated pattern to a certain extent, he's really working hard in a pattern that's not a traditional pattern on on the guitar. So that sets up as something really cool to hear. And then when he finally comes in and you're like, man, how is he singing this? And when I've seen him do it live, you just go, man, that's just a tough get. Um, (laughs) You know, and he makes it look so, so easy. Um, There's some good addition to some mandolin solos in there after the first verse, which I really like. And I just feel... In some ways, this feels different than other songs on the album. It's closer to Naked As We Came in terms of one that I think stands out. But this one for me is the, just the absolute sweetest tune on the, on the album in terms of like just the delicate, beautiful uh, melody that highlights his ability to play you know, acoustic guitar so well and then just his voice. Um, I really like it a lot. His voice is what really helps me with this one because I have absolutely nothing to add musically. <laughs> you covered all of it because I think in a lot of other people's hands, the, the lyrics on this one would be a little bit cheeseball. Oh, yeah. But somehow he makes, you know, what is it? I want your flowers like babies want God's love. And I'm like, oh, anybody else? I don't know if I'm buying what you're selling. <laughs> But this dude, along with just that beautiful musicality behind it, pulls it off. I don't know if I can say anything better (laughs) than that because some of it shouldn't work and and he makes it work because he has just such a beautiful, sweet voice. Yeah. And I'll say this too, just to to end on that, you know, and we've talked about this before in in my other times with you. I'm definitely a music guy and supposed to lyric guy. Like, I can appreciate good lyrics, but man, there's something musically in terms of the harmonies and and the way he he does this tune that really makes it a top one for me. Like you said, there's definitely some a little bit of hokey, not hokey lyrics, but a little flowery, you know, rhetoric. Because it's something you go, okay. But just the the nature of the tune and the way he wrote it is what I really like about it. Oh sure, and I'm not usually a, a lyrics guy. I'm more about how you sing it as opposed to what you're singing. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, but just because he has such poetic lyrics here that I find that I probably referenced lyrics more in this one show than probably the last five combined, you know? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I think what was just going to come here on track 11, Sodom, South Georgia. Papa. 
and I'm smiling. Why is the ring of a bell? Gone all star white, small as a wishing well. This is a, a really interesting song. I like the song quite a bit, but the storytelling it, it is a little bit strange because it's got that line of, you know, all dead white boys say God is good. Uh-huh. And I remember reading an interview with him, and this was probably right around when this album came out. So I'm grasping at straws to remember exactly what was going on. Uh-huh. But somebody asked him if this song was racist. And he seemed to like kind of think for a moment. He was like, maybe, because it's not him. Like you mentioned before, he's singing from like this third person. And and the way these lyrics came to him, he's it was sort of like he was really contemplating what the person had asked him, like he had never thought about it before. Mm-hmm. And then saying that, you know, it could be. I don't he goes, I didn't mean it that way, but maybe this character is a little bit racist or something, you know. And it didn't feel disingenuous, like it could, you know, some people like, oh, I'm gonna wash my hands of the lyrics I wrote down myself and refined and then sang and recorded and sold it didn't feel like he was bullshitting. So this is one I had a hard time really kind of classifying. This one sounds a bit different than a a lot of the things on the record, but I couldn't put my finger on why. What do you think about this one? This is another standout for me. Um, It's a highlight on the album for me. A couple of things that I like musically is the guitar in this instance acts as a percussive element and suppose the drum hitting on two and four, you get these big down strums on the guitar on two and four that kind of act as the kind of the percussive driving force behind the song, which I, I enjoyed. You know, like I said, the lyrics are are definitely very interesting. And you pointed out, you know, all dead white boys say God is good. And then the follow up is white tongues hang out. God is good. And you got to go, man, I don't, you know, where is he coming from on some of this stuff? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. and again, mo- a lot of his lyrics are like this, you know what I mean? In terms of like, they're not definable necessarily. They don't tell a, a strict up and down story or something that is very decipherable. And so sometimes you just have to take it for what it is and, you know, grasp what, what you can from it. But I'll just like the general vibe of the song. I laughed because I was like, he references Christmas twice in this album. And I was like, it's his Christmas out, al- you know, it's his Christmas song. Or, I mean, obviously that influenced it, but I kind of <laughs> thought it was funny that he, he, you know, he references Christmas boughs and then he slept through Christmas. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, of course, by the mere title of this piece, it makes me want to like know more about this place in South Georgia. There's, a, I mean, a lot of places I don't know, but I've never heard of Sodom, South Georgia. No. And I can't remember if that is actually a place or not but uh, if it's just if it exists just for i the don't song. either i don't even know i haven't gone that deep on it again i really like this song i think it's a great song but this is one also i would be interested in hearing people cover this song because mm-hmm. it, it kind of exists in this place where i could see this being a full-on country song you know a country polydon band just going to town on this one but i could also see like an indie rock band really bang this one out yeah and yeah. i see you know it's just one of these that i like it as it is but there's just something about the framework here that you could give this song to like four different bands and four different genres and all of them could do it justice to do it well and i think that says a lot about the songwriting it's a fascinating song and, and one that i like quite a bit yeah which then brings us on to our final track track 12 passing afternoon wooden spoons our children stir Drift away like our endless 
What do you think here? This one's an interesting one in that unlike most of the songs on this album, it has no intro. There is no instrumental like lead-in. He doesn't take you through the chord structure or whatever. He jumps right into it. And it's you know starts off with you know verse chorus kind of format. The cool part is he adds a lot of instruments in the chorus to highlight that difference. It's melodically the same between verse and chorus. Like I don't think the melody changes. What changes is who's backing what. So you can tell, hey, we've arrived at the chorus of this piece. Like many of the songs on this album, verse and chorus share a lot of similarities musically. And they sometimes have some similar lyrics, but there's nothing to say like this is definably a chorus or that the chorus repeats itself all the way through, which is, you know, in any pop song, sometimes, you know, if it's a bad chorus and now you're having to hear it seven times <laughs> in its exact same iteration, yeah. that can be that can be tough. But in this case, he's always varying the lyrics. He's telling more of the story. Also, you know, with this piece, I think, it, again, this role of the narrator of just like describing moments in the life of, you know, the, these two, two people and just observations of maybe the... Uh, the person that he's with and you know so it's an interesting tune like that i think it ends the album strong i think it's a good closer and and it it definitely kind of wraps up the vibe of the whole album yeah it feels like a last song it feels like it's playing you out and i really like that and again maybe hoping that radio war actually finishes side one yeah uh and then we have you know a fewer tracks the rest of these tracks are over four minutes so it could work that way i don't have a lot to say about this one i just i like how this ends the album it's brought you to where you need to be and it's saying goodbye yeah. uh, and that we had, you know, we, we spent the afternoon together. Thank you. It wraps it up with a, with a really nice vibe. It's not necessarily a standout, but I think it works for that, that last song. Right. I'm with you. It's a great track. And like I said, it's a, it's a good one to get out on. Yeah. And what are your final thoughts on the record? Well, you know, the more and more I thought about this, you know, this whole album, I just think he's got such a unique style. It's uh, you know, I've heard him compared to, Nick Drake, which I don't know is fair. I don't know if that's a fair comparison. We talked about the similarities uh, with like Jose Gonzalez. There's some aspect, and again, I've heard this comparison, which I really, this is one I don't agree with. It's like a little bit Elliot Smith, maybe just because of the acoustic nature of them. You know, I think more than anything, this album's weird in that it starts strong. There's this middle section, which is, you know, it's, it's okay. And then I think it finishes incredibly strong. I think the last three tunes on the way out the door are really a solid finish to this album. I think really what I walk away from is it conjures up imagery, like like Southern folk, like what it's like to live and be in, in a small Southern town or a small region of the country. You know, his whole story is just so remarkable in terms of his like path to becoming a musician. In that, you know, he's, he's from the South and but spent so much time. He was, you know, when he, he got an MFA in like film from Florida State. And he was, you know, on the faculty at UF as an artist and, a, you know, a filmmaker and cinema, you know. And then had started to do these gigs in the Miami area. And his music is definitely not influenced by Miami or anything related to that. You know <laughs> no. what I mean? And so you, it's so remarkable that he's got this kind of background in the film. And here he is, and his, his career has been made out of putting together these albums that feel so, like, from top to bottom, it's something you can put on and you feel transported. At least I do when I listen to any of his stuff, but particularly this album. Yeah, this is one I have a tendency to, to listen to all the way through. This one really brings me back to that time when I was getting ready to transition 
into a new life. And I was going to be moving to Poland. And even though at that time, I, I thought I would probably only be here for a year. You know, there was that matter of I was leaving a job and I was moving out of an apartment and I was getting everything together to go across the ocean, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is one that really, of all the records I was listening to at that time, this is the one that just most strongly reminds me of that time. I think I needed some of that calming influence and how calm this album really is. And, and even when it's upbeat, it's still a very smooth record. And I mean that in a good way. He has this really odd way of putting together songs. Like he said, there's not a lot of traditional, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of thing. He, he plays around with that, plays around with your expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have the, the musical vocabulary that you do. So a lot of what you said, when you were saying like that made complete sense to me, even though I could have never articulated it myself. It's just one that I've really enjoyed going back to. It doesn't feel dated, I think, because this doesn't owe itself to any particular scene or genre or whatever. I'm surprised that he had so much of a Florida connection. I didn't realize that. I knew. I mean, I knew he was from the South, but I didn't know he was at Tallahassee, Gainesville, and Miami. So. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's it's remarkable. But uh, and he does have such a unique uh, vibe to it. He also, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, probably because they look similar, but like Father John Misty. If you ever heard any of his stuff, you yeah, know, definitely. There's, yeah. there's definitely that kind of folkish vibe to it, where there's some good storytelling and it's not always an easy not an easy listen meaning the lyrics don't necessarily just present themselves to you in a laid out fashion you know they're just it's, you do a little diving into some of the inferred meetings and stuff like that and i would say definitely the the later stuff but yeah things that came out after this record would sound more along that lines with the father john misty even though he's a lot more tongue-in-cheek Oh yeah, uh, with with his uh, with his songwriting. So I think this guy he's very earnest and he's very rock steady. It feels like to me. Can we also wrap up as we talk about this album and maybe one of uh, great all time album cover, great art. You know, I mean, you see it and you know exactly what that album is. There's no yeah, you know, and that's what got me thinking. Just looking at it because I've been listening to it through streaming, and of course I'll see the little thing. But just when I was looking at it, like that album cover is really what made me think this was in that listening station. And so I, I'd read the review, which was probably pretty good. But then just seeing that album cover, I'm like, no, I have to listen to this. I have to give this a shot. Yeah. Uh, just that painting and, and his beard. <laughs> yeah. know, just those two things definitely line up. That image and the music are of the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, for my listeners out there, if you have not already given this album a listen, I would definitely encourage you to do so. While you're there, uh, why don't you write rate, review, subscribe, whatever it is that you're supposed to do for my show so other people can find it and listen to it and say nice things about it. This album came out on green vinyl. I don't own it. If you do and you want to send it to me, that's great. I'll take it. You want to send me $10,000 in cash? I'll take it. All right. That's the kind of guy that I am. I appreciate it. Anyway, Sean, as always, I love having you on the show. You bring the, the real music knowledge. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much and goodbye. Thanks, man. Listen, I appreciate you having me here as always and uh, always good to talk some music with you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.